and then from Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Welcome all you live streamers, and uh, for the live streamers, we had some technical issues, uh, but we got there in the end, I think at 10.35, but I hope you're here and I hope you're enjoying it. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 30, it's hard to imagine words more profound, words more memorable, words more enduring, words more simple, words more both comforting and challenging. These are compelling words to the anxious heart, to the fearful heart, to the controlling heart, but they are also words of invitation for a new life, for those who intend to lead new lives. This is, of course, the way of Jesus. He says in verse 31, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. We're going to explore these words this morning. Let's pray first. Father, come to our hearts and open our hearts, transform our hearts, especially our anxious hearts. Fill us with all joy and peace in believing for Christ's sake and in the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. What you eat, what you drink, what you wear. If you live in Sydney, these are three inescapably important things to Sydney. You can't get more Sydney than what you eat and drink and wear. Take a look at the magazines. See what's on TV. Have a look at what people Google. Just open your eyes. We're a city that cares about food. Coffee and pop-up restaurants, we identify as foodies. Foodies is a thing. And, of course, cooking shows. Of all the things that the pandemic brings, it brings sourdough. How very Sydney. We are a city that cares about what you drink. Now, mostly what you eat, what you drink. Jesus is probably talking about necessities when he says such things, but boy, doesn't, 
Boy, does Sydney not love her alcohol. The social status, the taste, the power that alcohol brings to deliver us a buzz when bored, escape when we are sad, social lubricant when we are scared. But in the end, for many, it's a habit that robs people of joy. And Sydney cares about clothes. In verse 25, Jesus goes further. Do not, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Well, how, can you, how can you not worry about your life? Who doesn't worry about their lives? In fact, when someone stops worrying about their life, we worry for them. It seems so natural. Worrying about our bodies is what we do, young, old, and in between. And I won't tell you which category I put myself in. In part, it's because we do not know what tomorrow will bring. And yet all our fears and dreams and loves about ordinary life are embedded into tomorrow. It's embedded even into our hearts, like little gods. What will happen if my great fears are realised? What will happen if my hopes for this and that are dashed? Fear of loss, fear of missing out are real things. So what are we going to do about it? In Luke's recounting of of, uh, of these words, Jesus says in Luke 12, verse 32, he says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Since you have a Father in heaven, and since He has been pleased to give you all that is promised, all that is truly valuable, you can relax on the everyday stuff. That's what Jesus is saying, on what you eat and what you drink and what you wear. Lift your eyes, your sights, higher, and it will transform your heart with respect to what is lower, but not in a way which denies what is lower. This is not Gnosticism. Jesus cares about what you eat and what you drink, what you wear. He cares about your body. No, in fact, Jesus says, all these things you worry about, they will be added unto you, given to you as well. We continue our series in the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 6, an antidote to fear, and in chapter 7, an antidote to pride. That begins next week. All in order to know how to live a blessed life. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness. A blessed life in this world and no other. There is no other world but the one we live in and the one promised. But we live a blessed life, not like the Pharisees who did behaviour rather than heart. Two points today, if you're taking notes on page eight of your orders of service, we're going to consider this way of Jesus, and then we're going to talk about how to choose this way. First, considering this way, this new life being offered. Well, we're going to need something powerful to get through our patterns of fear. One commentator wrote this, he said, Matthew 6, verse 25, 
attacks squarely the anxiety which springs from our insecurity with respect to such basic needs as food and clothing. This is a very powerful enemy to attack, for our anxiety runs very deep. It's so deep, so very deep, that surely the simple negative command, do not be anxious, doesn't help. In fact, Jesus says, do not be anxious, and we worry about being anxious, and so it makes us even more worried. We're wired to care. This is good. We live in a society that cares, perhaps too much, but what you eat, what you drink, what you wear is, is good in the created world. The commentator goes on, our involvement in what he calls these structures of care is too deep to be uprooted by a single command. Indeed, much of the time we seem to know no other reality, so that a change can only take place if we were to see the world in a fundamentally new way. Can words help such an insight? Well, they would have to be a special kind of words, for they must penetrate below our present sense of reality, which controls what we do and what we recognize as important. What do you recognize as important? What do you worry about? These structures of care run deep. So we'll need three words, three pretty special words. Well, Jesus gives three of them right here in our text today. He says, first, behold the birds. Verse 26. And if you do, what will you see? Look at verse 26. Look up at the birds of the air. They do not sow, they don't reap, they don't store away in barns. No superannuation for the birds. And yet... If you look at them, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? So he says to you and to me, he says, look up. But it's more than look, as in look once. You know, I've seen birds. It's more than that. Uh, it's the word to behold in, in the King James Version. It's behold the fowl of the air, the birds of the air. Look closely, consider them, and if you let the reality of the bird sink into your heart as a daily reality, then whenever you concern yourself with such things, then behold the birds, meditate on them. A bit hard for those of you who are afraid of them. Birds are industrious, sure, and they care about food, definitely. But they don't do all the mitigating and the worrying and the controlling and the fretting that we humans do. Verse 26, they don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Let the birds be your teacher. I don't think Jesus is speaking, for example, against superannuation when he says these words. These are extreme words, not meant to be taken literally, but they're meant to speak to the heart, speak to the anxiety, speak to the worry. Let the birds be your teacher. Are they not much more valuable? Are you not much more valuable than they? If God looks after the less valuable, the birds, he'll look after you. So the point is, fret no more, relax, 
It's not all up to you. Your well-being, your happiness is not, as many say, entirely in your hands. Verse 27, can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? You know, it's like, all this worrying. I mean, worry makes you do things. But the, all the internal angst, do you get an hour, an hour on your life for it? No, you don't. In fact, it may take away years from your life, such fretting. First, behold the birds. Secondly, special word, consider the lilies, verses 28 to 30. And what are you to consider about them? Verse 28, why do you worry about your clothes? He says, see how the flowers of the field grow. And you can look up if you haven't already. The flowers don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these that you just look at every day and maybe stop to notice if you're in the mood. Jesus says, if this is how God clothes the grass of the field, the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, this will be popped in the wheelie bin later, how much more will he not clothe you, O you of little faith? Jesus says, look at a field. Perhaps there was one close by. And consider them, the lilies of the field. And it's the word consider, it's like the word behold. Look past the mere beauty of the flowers. I mean, that's what we tend to do with flowers. We say, aren't they beautiful? And beauty awakens us a little bit, and maybe you might smell them or appreciate why they were given in the moment. But I think Jesus is saying, consider them more deeply. Look past the flowers to a deeper reality. They don't fret. There's no fretting amongst flowers. They don't control things like we do. They don't turn looking beautiful into a God bowing down before youth, the sort of pursuit of beauty that messes with the mind, with skewed notions of beauty and youth, that starts to um, undermine the soul. Jesus says, not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. It's amazing that Jesus is saying, look out of the creator of the world, look up at the birds, behold them, look at these flowers, consider them. Let the flowers, let the birds be your teacher. And put simply, they don't labor or spin, but I labor. We spin, you spin, you worry, you shop, you care too much. You look and look and look. We all do. But Jesus says, Rich Solomon, not like one of these. If God clothes the flowers of the field, what we what you might call grass of the field, so transient here today and thrown in the fire. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? O you of little faith is both a rebuke and a gentle word. It's a gentle word, right? He'll clothe you. He'll take care of you. You have to pursue it so much, like a god, like the pagans. We'll come to that. You struggle to believe. He'll take care of you. Many of us feel of little faith. Is that you? You know, you say, 
when Jesus says, Oh, you of little faith, is he addressing you? Jesus is saying, if you are of little faith, he cares for you. He'll feed you. That's a gentle word, but it's also a rebuke and a challenge to increase your faith by looking at the flowers, by looking at the birds and saying, he cares for me more than these things. It's worth saying Jesus spoke in a time and place that was even more fragile than it is today. And I say that even during a pandemic. The fragile nature of society is more keenly felt by us now more than, say, last year. But on the whole, we live here in, in uh, Sydney. Most of us know where the next meal is coming from and most of us know how to obtain water. That's true even for the homeless amongst us. And yet even in our more secure place, we fret. So much of what we pursue looks guaranteed, but it isn't guaranteed. That's especially true, by the way, if there is no God. Moore College lecturer Peter Bolt, previously Moore College lecturer, said this, without God... There is no certain future, and this leads to a profound anxiety about survival. I've got to secure it. And so life becomes the pursuit of things that might stave off the grave to add some security in an anxiety-ridden world. Jesus speaks a special word with God, a Father in heaven who knows that you need what you need before you ask him, with the life of Jesus, with the resurrection of Jesus behind us and the general resurrection to come, the life of the world to come ahead of us, we can give him our fears, our hopes, our dreams to God. He says, behold the birds, consider the lilies and study paganism in verses 31 and 32. He says, so don't worry, saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear because this is what pagans run after. This is what the, the Gentiles chase after. I think the sense of worry here, by the way, is not just simply the sense of I'm concerned about my future, but the sense of worry that leads to pursuit of these things or even the worship of these things or the have-to-have nature of these things. Jesus, in verse 32, is offering us new life, a life different from the group Jesus calls the pagans or the Gentiles who worry about or chase after or fret after these things, you don't have to join them. Why did they fret? Well, in many cases, for the pagans, it was because their gods were local. My God, your God, their God, this nation's God, that nation's God. And therefore, they were in competition with other gods. You know, we talk about the culture wars now. With paganism, it's all about the culture wars. It's all about my God hearing me over your God, not hearing you. A little bit like in Sydney today, hoping that your boss is bigger than the other bosses, that the takeover takes place and your job is secure. And so you believe in your boss, you trust in your boss, you put your trust in princes, as we're going to read in the psalm in a few moments' time. Don't do that, says the psalmist. And so a pagan, a Gentile, didn't believe in one God overall who was like a father in heaven who cared about the needs of his daughters, of his sons. And so they were never quite sure if their boss or their God was going to pull through and send the rain on the crops, long life to their families and income for the year. 
this naturally led to superstition, because you had to arouse your God, and worry that you weren't arousing your God, and a kind of selfishness, not narcissism, but rather the myopic sense of me and my life and my desires, of my family, which is all I really care about, selfish in the sense that their sights were low and local, like their gods. Jesus doesn't diminish those fears and dreams. No, we'll come to that. But if you're a pagan, you chase after these things. They would do anything today to get the food for tomorrow. Jesus says, the prayer to God is, is give us today our daily bread. But no one knows what tomorrow will bring, and so they fretted and chased after and tried to secure tomorrow. But tomorrow is a terrible God to worship. So fickle. And this chasing after what you eat, what you drink, what you wear, ironically, it led to more pain, more suffering, more anxiety. I take it a disfigurement of the soul. You and I, as daughters, as sons of the God who made the world, we're made for more than what you eat and what you drink and what you wear. We're made for more than tomorrow. We're made for eternity. Tomorrow is a terrible God to worship. That's why Jesus says in verse 34, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Let that God have all your pain and all your worries. These are special words intended to awaken or break into or penetrate the structures of safety we look for. So secondly, choosing this way. If we've considered this way, let us therefore choose the way of Jesus. Remember the quote, Indeed, much of the time we seem to know no other reality so that a change can only take place if we were to see the world in a fundamentally new way. The kingdom of God, the kingdom Jesus secured by his death and resurrection, is the fundamentally new way. Which means, by the way, you're going to need the Spirit of God. Giving you a new heart. Teaching you each morning as you arise with all the fears and frets that you are a daughter, a son of a heavenly father. If you choose Jesus as your brother, your Lord, your saviour. In choosing this way, you're going to have to swap chasing in verse 31 for trusting in verse 32 and seeking first the kingdom of God. We're going to have to swap chasing for something. And you're going to have to recognize when it is that you're chasing after something instead of resting in your Father in heaven. It'll mean you'll need a searching and fearless moral inventory of your heart indicators I think of, of such chasing after would be things like this, fear gripping your heart and you, you wanting it to take place, not interested in, in an alternative way of doing life, it's when desires rule your choices, it's when you get in over your head and your eyes end up bigger than your stomach, it's when you steal or you're malicious to a colleague because it might mean that you'll get ahead. It's 
when you get jealous or you covet and you overthink things for the sake of your security and in treating what you eat and drink and wear, this sense of security as another God, you start to hurt the people around you because, quite frankly, deep in your heart, they're more important than the people around you. And so you strike and you worry. Jesus says, let tomorrow do the worrying. It'll be easier on your heart if you let this terrible God called tomorrow do the worrying. Let tomorrow fuss about tomorrow. Let tomorrow chase after the things of tomorrow. Tomorrow does probably a better job at worrying about tomorrow than you do. Each day, Jesus says, has enough trouble of its own. The Apostle Paul picks up many of these themes, as, as Rob pointed out last week, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, when he says, Godliness with contentment is of great gain, a great profit. You want to know what the greatest profit is? Godliness with contentment. Worrying about tomorrow isn't productive. Mary Schmidt said, Don't worry about the future or worry, but know that worrying is as effective as trying to solve an algebra equation by chewing bubblegum. Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Now, we're going to swap chasing after for, secondly, trusting in a Father in Heaven, verse 32. One of the most enduring images of the 20th century was a young John F. Kennedy Jr., only aged three or so, playing under the, the desk, the resolute desk the, of the then President of the United States. Such a beautiful image. It's on page eight of your orders of service. Why is that image so attractive? I mean, it's cute. It's more than that, isn't it? There's power there in the room in a president, and there's helplessness in a three-year-old. Covered, in some sense, by the power by the, of a father who cares. Most citizens have no access to power. American citizens certainly have no access, really, to their president. They'd have to make an appointment. president rarely says yes. But the son of the president... Uh, child of the father in the White House can skip up the steps and walk past security. They have simple, powerful, and pure access to the parent. God is a parent. He is a father in heaven. That's what Jesus said. And more powerful than any president on earth. God holds all the levers, and He holds the whole world in His hand. Paul, Paul writes, if God is for us, who can be against us? And you know He's for us because He did not withhold His only Son. And so if you belong to the Son, if you belong to Christ, you have access to the Heavenly Father. You can pray to Him without trying to impress Him, for example, like the pagans do, chapter 6, verse 8. You can simply pray, give us today our daily bread. And He hears you. He knows what you need. He wants to feed you more than He wants to feed the birds of the air. He wants to clothe you more than he wants to clothe the grass of the field. And so he says, seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus tells us to do something supernatural here. 
You'll need a new heart to do it, really. Seek first His kingdom. Seek first, as a priority, His righteousness, His rightness. What does this mean? It doesn't mean you ditch the superannuation. That's just smart. You know, some of the investments you have. But it will mean ditching the treating of such things as gods and the anxiety that comes with us with it it will mean first becoming a christian and then secondly dwelling in the kingdom over a lifetime living as a child of our heavenly father wanting what god wants thirsting after the joy that god offers finding out what pleases the lord i've put some passages on the bottom of page eight some some text to meditate on, to pray over, and to pray even into your hearts, 1 Timothy 6, Psalm 31, 130, Psalm 37, Hebrews 13, and Philippians 4, verses 4 to 7. Use these texts as prayers as you seek first God's kingdom and let tomorrow take care of the worrying. And if you do, Jesus says, all those things you worry about, they'll be given to you as well. Jesus says, you'll need to get your priorities in order. You'll need to get your heart right. You'll need to love little things in life, only a little. You'll need to love moderate things in life, moderately. And you'll need to love the big things, bigly. In our society, I find that many people love the little things in huge ways and the big things in small ways but our hearts become skewed. Love the big things bigly means love God first. And spend your life then looking at the birds, considering the lilies. Jesus is all for your life, your body, what you eat and drink and wear. But He has more for you. Forgiveness for your sins, for example, wrought by Christ's death. Hope beyond death secured by Christ's resurrection. You're a child of the Heavenly Father. You can relax in Him. And then you'll have the time, the margins, the headspace, and indeed the heart to do the one thing God requires of you. Seek as a priority His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these things will be taken care of by a Father in heaven. The kingdom is all the good that God has promised to those who trust Him. All the power and peace and joy and forgiveness and grace that come to the one who treats Jesus as King. So get to and trust Him today. Let tomorrow take care of itself. Get to and yield to the kingship of Jesus in all areas of your life today. Tomorrow will take care of itself. After all, Jesus didn't worry about tomorrow when He went to the cross. He went to the cross in obedience to His Father, knowing that His tomorrow was in His Father's hands. His resurrection was in the hands of the one true and good Father. Follow Him. Put the world first, and you'll find it gets moth-ridden in your hands. Put God first, and you'll get the whole world thrown in. Let's pray.
Father, this morning we choose Jesus Christ. We choose faith over fear. We leave before you all those things that are in our hearts right now, the, whatever it is, the eating is, the drinking, the wearing, the security we seek. Father, we adore that when Jesus spoke, he didn't belittle those things as unimportant. Rather, he said uh, that your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask him. You know our needs. You know what's in our heart. You know what fears we have. You know what dreams we hold in our heart. But here now, we consider the birds. We consider the lilies. We study paganism when we choose another path. We choose the path of Jesus Christ who will hold me fast. No Saviour loves me so. He will hold me fast. Amen.